Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will be discussing stress. My baseline definition of stress comes from Jak Panksepp, a neuroscientist and psychobiologist who coined the term affective neuroscience to name the field that studies the neural mechanisms of emotion. Rebecca and I will discuss the physiology of stress and its three main causative factors. And this will be the first of two episodes on stress. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And I'm really looking forward to today's episode all on stress, which is something that as a meditation teacher, I work with a lot with my clients. So I'm really excited to learn more about your perspective on it and your research on it and how it relates to transformational therapeutics. I'm excited too. But before I start, I'd like to first thank, this will be, I think, our 24th podcast. And I want to thank Joe Carano, who's active as audio engineer and editor and all around good guy. He's been wonderful. <laughs> and you too, Rebecca. Thank you both for helping me launch this and get it going. Thank you. So happy to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. You have no idea. <laughs> so the origin of the word stress, it comes from the Latin strictus, which means drawn tight. And that will come into play as we move through this. I'll bring up how that manifests in the physical form. It also comes from Middle English, meaning hardship, adversity, force, or pressure. And so I'm going to focus on the physiology of stress in our bodies, how it manifests in our bodies, and what the causes of it are so that we can understand what is happening. So many of us say, I'm so stressed out. That doesn't have a lot of meaning for me, and it's sort of a global cover, and I'd like people to better understand why they're stressed out. Mm -hmm. By understanding that, you can intervene in different arenas to change the stress, because there are actually three different ways stress is manifested. It can be physical, chemical, and emotional, mm -hmm. and I'm going to talk about all three of those. I love that. I also hear a lot of the time people aren't even aware of how stressed they really are. They have moments of stress. They don't realize how much it permeates. So I'm really looking forward And to what hearing. was interesting for me doing the research on this is the influence of chemicals in our environment hmm. that actually impact our stress system. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And they impact it on a physical level. So we'll just play around with that as we continue through the, the podcast. Great. Let's dive in. Okay. So there is something called the HPA axis, and that stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So the hypothalamus is a part of our brain. The pituitary is a gland. It's called the master gland. And the adrenals are glands that are located right above our kidneys and this HPA axis is activated when any stress is experienced. And there is a scientist called Jack Panksepp, and he researches animals and their physiology. And he said, this is a quote, stress is anything that activates the HPA axis. If this axis is stimulated, then by definition, it is stress. So it's a wide definition. It covers a lot, but I like to simplify it to that because I think that's sort of foundational in understanding stress. Absolutely. So in that HPA axis, 
there are hormones that are released that influence the pituitary. They're released by the hypothalamus. They influence the pituitary and the adrenals, and it sets up a feedback loop, which I'll talk about in a little bit. I think I spoke of feedback loops in another one of the podcasts. So for me, that feedback loop is a language inside of the body, but it's a feedback loop that influences what I term regulation, our ability to regulate our moods, our states, our physiology. So stress, we all know this, but stress influences that feedback loop between the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenals. Just to be clear that the HPA, the HPA axis, when something affects that feedback loop, that would be considered stress. Yes, absolutely. So um, Candace Pert, whom I talked about in the Psyche podcast, she defines the hypothalamus as part of the emotional brain. It's part of the limbic system, which is a very primitive area of our brain. And it has axons that extend into the pituitary gland. Now, she talked about peptides and peptides are released and appear everywhere in our body. I'm going to call this a neuropeptide. And she refers to it as an informational substance. And we've all, I believe, many of us have heard of cortisone and cortisol. Mm. And that is a stress hormone. And what happens is this neuropeptide called cortical releasing factor, CRF, I know this is complicated. CRF is released by the hypothalamus and hits the pituitary gland. And so it tells the pituitary gland, alert, alert, stress is happening. And then from the pituitary gland, another substance travels through the bloodstream to the adrenal glands. And that docks on cells in the adrenal glands. And adrenaline is released. Now, we all know about adrenaline. Adrenaline has to do with fight, flight, or freeze reaction. And so that's a direct influence on the release of adrenaline and on our sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze. So that's the actual loop that occurs when we have stress. So just to kind of recap a little bit, when cortisol is released from the hypothalamus, or no, from the... No, it's, it's not cortisol. It's cortical releasing factor. It's a precursor to cortisone and cortisol. The cortisol is released further down the route. Okay. And then it sends, it basically ends up sending a message to the adrenals to then pump out adrenaline. Right. Okay. And in that response of fight, flight, or freeze, that's an actually healthy feedback loop to have. And, and it, sure. it's very ancient in our system. And it was very useful when we were being attacked by saber-toothed tigers. Correct. Or whatever. It was a very good uh, warning system. The adrenaline was. It's characterized by dilated pupils, a racing heartbeat, and an energy rush, which allows you to react to perceived danger. Right. It's a very ancient system. As far as I know, we're not being attacked by saber-toothed tigers anymore. So that system can be activated in our culture and our time by having to hurry for something, having being overscheduled, right. having emotional problems happening. So that's an old system that is activated by what we call stress. Right. We can get a text and our bodies respond as if we're being attacked by a saber-toothed tiger. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that happens is, is that when the adrenal glands are hit by the messages from the pituitary, they begin to make steroids. Hmm. And not the kind of steroids that we think about, sexual steroids. These are steroids that have to do with fight, flight, freeze. 
the steroid that they make is called corticosterone. That corticosterone is a substance that's necessary for healing the damage when an injury has occurred. Huh. Now, I said in a previous podcast I did about grief that the initial output when someone learns that someone has died or been lost or whatever is a stress reaction. Mm -hmm. So this is the same system that happens before we label it grief. Our physiology manifests this HPA axis activation. Sending a message to pump out adrenaline, go into fight, flight, or freeze, and then release steroids to heal any damage that the fight, flight, or freeze created. Yes, assuming that, and there's a time factor in that, assuming that you get to the point where the steroids will do the healing. So mm. that's a whole other piece of this. Right, because theoretically, if I'm thinking about encountering a saber-toothed tiger back when our ancestors did experience such phenomenon, it would be a short-lived experience. The attack would come and then they'd get to safety and then your steroids would be there to heal up anything that... Right. It and if they didn't get to safety, they'd be dead anyway, so you wouldn't need to steroids. Right, right, right. <laughs> we're, we're assuming that they encounter mammals out on their hunting and gathering and then get back to safety. Because <laughs> we st we're, we're still here. We existed. Some of them made it through. <laughs> so CRF, which is cortical releasing factor, is a peptide. And according to Candy Pert, it's the peptide of negative expectations. Hmm. And peptides are information that travel. Information molecules. Information molecules. There's so much more research that's been done since she did her original research. She's the one who discovered endorphins, which are peptides. Hmm. They're so ubiquitous in our body and they're so important. And they dock on receptors in the cells. Hmm. They carry messages. So they're considered messenger molecules, or as she called them, information molecules. They bring information to a cell mm. and dock on that cell. So the specific peptide carries the information of negative... Well, it goes from the hypothalamus to the pituitary, and then the pituitary releases what's called ACTH, which then goes to the adrenals. Candy Pert called it cortical releasing factor, but it's technically known as corticotrophin releasing factor. That actual neuropeptide mediates that entire HPA axis and regulates it. If you have chronic exposure to stress, that corticotropin releasing factor continues to be released and keep that feedback loop going between the hypothalamus, pituitary, and adrenal. So there is no rest in that feedback loop mm. if under chronic stress. Mm. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So then there's some really good research, and I'm going to talk about chronic stress. If that chronic stress happens in childhood, there are animal studies and also human studies showing that monkey babies who are deprived of maternal nurturing or neglected or abused have high levels of that CRF hormone that just keeps circulating. And so it's a feedback loop that's out of control. It also happens with young children that are either abused or neglected or lack maternal nurturing have the same high levels of CRF. That stress, when it's not calmed down, sets the child up for in adulthood for depression. Hmm. And that's a physiological thing because what happens is the receptors sort of get worn out by repeated activity. Right. It sets you up for depression. Because it's just overused. Yeah, it's like CRF levels increase. They automatically increase in highly stressed infants and children. 
So the receptors for the CRF become desensitized. Okay. And they actually shrink in size and decrease in number. Hmm. You become habituated to fewer and fewer of those. Right. Is that what they mean when they say things, they say refer to depression as like a chemical imbalance? It is a chemical imbalance, but it's also a receptor imbalance because the receptors themselves can die off from too much stress early on. So mm -hmm. you don't actually have the ability chemically, biochemically to change that. Mm -hmm. And I'll get into that in a minute. Candy Purr talks about depressed people being stuck in a feedback loop. And eventually there's so much CRF in the system, other peptides in the system are also curtailed. So that you lose the balance, the regulatory balance deep in your system that allows you to regroup hmm. after a, a, a stressor okay? because the stressor wasn't removed. So over time, you just lose the ability to sort of switch off as a child. Okay. So does that mean that even more like positive or feeling good peptides are thrown out of balance as yes. well? Yes. Yes. And so she talks about also that receptors shrink in size and decrease in number when you have too much CRF circulating in the system because of prolonged stress. But it also happens when receptors are flooded with a drug, whether it's the drug that's automatically in your system already, because for every receptor we have a pre-existing drug, mm. or an external drug that is taken. So it explains why addicts need more and more because their receptors are being flooded and reducing in ability and in number. Mm. She also talks about the memory of the trauma or the original stress in children is stored by these and other changes at the level of the neuropeptide receptor. So there's a memory within the receptor of the stress. Hmm. So you're a child and you have this chronic stress abuse, neglect, whatever it is, and it changes your physiology on a cellular level in terms of the receptors that are on the cells. And that trauma is actually stored as a memory deep in the interior of the cell. And this is taking place body-wide. Wow. So therefore, an adult would be essentially wired to feel that stress yes. over and over again. Over and over and over again. Hmm. And it's not just in your brain. It's throughout your entire system. Mm. So they took young monkeys, monkey babies, and stressed them. And then they gave them hugs. And in young monkeys, it actually broke the feedback loop. Hmm. Sending the message that it's done, it's finished. And what happened is, I talked earlier about the steroids trying to repair the damage. But if the damage keeps happening and you have CRF peptides being released over and over again because of chronic stress, then the steroids are also released trying to heal that stress. And it just becomes this um, round robin of attempts to heal yourself, but you're stressing yourself and it goes around and around. They found that in these baby monkeys, the chronically elevated levels of that corticotropin releasing factor came down just from hugs. Wow. So the skin has these receptors and the release of oxytocin and other hormones applies in a way some sort of an antidepressant or a drug would not. It actually, you can use it to calm down someone and over time change, literally change their chemistry and their physiology. 
through hugs. Yes. And it, you know, if it's an adult who had chronic stress as a child, that may take much longer. Sure. But if you were to get in early with a child, that would be, and that's such an automatic sort of mothering instinct. Right. If I see a child on the street who looks sad, I want to run up and just hug hug them. Right. Exactly. all I want to do. Right. And that's an instinctual way that the body knows how to heal itself. Hmm. And so it just brings up the role of touch in the aspect of healing people with mood disorders, how important it really is. So through hugs and safe, secure, loving touch is one way that you can start to rewire that feedback loop that would have tired out the receptors. Yes. And what could you make it so those receptors are no longer tired out and you can start to bring back? I I do believe that you can. Mm. So early childhood trauma actually causes massive changes in in a part of the brain called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus has to do with memory. And what happens with chronic stress in early childhood, the hippocampus shrinks so that new long-term memories cannot form. Hmm. Animals removed from their mothers, they let out a desperate cry or cries, and then they enter a turned-off state. And they release a stress hormone called glucocorticoid, which again is another peptide. Glucocorticoids kill the cells in the hippocampus so that they're synaptic, their connections between the cells are no longer valid. So that's how the actual hippocampus is reduced in size. And I just found this fascinating. When, when you do this in a child, you affect their ability to learn because their hippocampus is influenced and they can't remember. Oh, wow. So learning disabilities and struggles in school could be a result of childhood trauma. Could be. And when the child undergoes long separation from the, the mother, or not necessarily separation if the mother is not nurturing, mm. it's the same thing. There's a gene that gets turned on to produce glucocorticoids, and it stays on for extended periods. So trauma in infancy appears to lead to like a supersensitization of the brain and the neurons that control and regulate the glucocorticoids. So again, you've got another feedback loop, a negative feedback loop that just keeps feeding the sensitization and the hyperalertness. Wow. And the inability to learn, and then the hippocampus is affected in a decrease in cells. And adult survivors of childhood abuse also show signs of glucocorticoid sensitivity lasting into adulthood. So early trauma or lack of nurturing has a huge impact all the way through life. And it's recently found that there are antidepressant medications that increase actually the number of stem cells that become new neurons in the hippocampus. So there is hope. What does that mean in lay terms? It means that you're actually healing and, okay, so your hippocampus has a reduced number of cells and so reduced receptors Mm -hmm. because of the trauma and the feedback loop that's a negative feedback loop. A stem cell is a pre-cell that can form into anything. And in the brain, it's been shown that in the hippocampus, which has been damaged, new hippocampus cells can be formed from the stem cells that are activated by certain antidepressants. Mm. So there is hope. So if there's an adult who struggles with memory loss and or just struggles with memory, 
and maybe struggles with learning and things like that. And it could be a result of childhood neglect or, or trauma or, or trauma or abuse or yeah, that they, they can heal that through. Potentially. Potentially. Yeah. And I'm not sure which of the antidepressants does that. I'm mm. sure a psychopharmacologist or somebody would know that. When I was in school, we were taught that the brain was it. You couldn't get new cells. You couldn't change anything. And that's all changed over the last number of years with the research that's done. Right. So that's sort of a hopeful sign. So you've got antidepressants that can have an impact and touch that can have an impact. That's stress, how it appears in the brain and in the physiology from childhood, from abuse, neglect, whatever. Okay, that's one aspect of it. There's also something called metabolic stress, which can result from either a lack of nutrients mm -hmm. or an excess of nutrients, which I just found fascinating when you think about our diets. Yes, excess of nutrients, that's interesting too. But lack of nutrients, that's a lot. But oftentimes the excess is due to a lack of some nutrient in the food that you're eating. So you keep trying, you keep eating mm. to make up for the lack of something that your body knows it uh. needs. I mean, horses do that. Horses will eat and eat and eat to try and balance the minerals in their bodies. And if the minerals aren't in the grass that they're eating, they'll just keep eating to get enough mineral and they'll get fat and they'll get all kinds of problems. Hmm. But it's really the body's attempt to normalize the, the chemistry and the mineral activity in their bodies. Hmm. And I'm sure we do the same thing. We're both mammals. Right. And our food in this country right now is lacking or devoid of a lot of minerals and nutrition and that sort of thing, as is the soil. Right. I was going to say even the vegetable, even if you're attempting to get your minerals by eating your vegetables and stuff, a lot of the vegetables just don't have it because of the soil. And another thing I just, I read a study that was published in 2017 I've heard about that there are endocrine disruptors in the plastics that we use and in some of the fertilizers and things like glyphosate and, and those kinds of things that are used to kill weeds. And an endocrine disruptor has an impact on your endocrine system. And so it's apparently quite well proven that there's glyphosate in our water, in our soil, in most of our foods. Hmm. And that's an endocrine disruptor. And this study was talking about mineral corticoids. So the mineral corticoid receptor, which is on the cell, is really important to mediate the effects of what are called mineral corticoids. And they are really important for tissue health and regulation. There are fertilizers that interrupt those receptors. And so that is also a stress on the body and interrupts the ability to regulate and ends up influencing the development of cancer, such as lung cancers, colorectal cancer, and other cancers. Wow. So that's also a stress to the system. I talked earlier about it, the system doesn't know if it's chemical, emotional, or physical stress. So that's a chemical stress that comes in through what we eat, mm. through the poisons, basically, that we're spreading on our land and food. Right. And that influences not only the influence on estrogen receptors, but other kinds of receptors that regulate cancer manifestation. Wow. Yeah. You hear that in media, you hear that in people talking about the food we're eating, the lack of nutrients that can cause cancer, but 
that's a different story when you start to understand how. How. And years ago, Candy Pert talked about, she said, I think it was 90 or 95%. She believed 90 to 95% of all cancers were environmentally caused. Really? Yeah. We've been told that a lot of it is genetic. Right. Mm, I'm not so sure. She once told a story. I think I was at a lecture of hers. And she told a story about they were doing research at some hospital in Massachusetts in Boston on estrogen receptors and breast cancer. And they were getting weird results. They figured out that the weird results were because of the plastic that the fluids were coming through the IVs were estrogenically influencing. Oh, my. That's... Wow. And that was in the 90s or 80s. That was a long time ago. Wow. So all of these plastics and fertilizers and pesticides, pesticides, the pesticides that we are using. I mean, I was at Home Depot once and there was a guy in front of me who had enough Roundup for the whole farm. Right. We use them willy nilly, but the results down the line are not good. Yeah. To put it mildly. Yes. And so in terms of the way that I see language and transformational therapeutics, these are chemical languages. These are peptides and other steroids and, and substances, informational molecules, as Candy Pert called them, that come into our system and interfere with normal, healthy feedback loops and change our physiology. So the language of these pesticides and external substances that we take in the language is poison. It stops our normal regulatory mechanisms on a cellular level, interferes with receptors. In the last two podcasts, I talk about peptides and the emotions. This is the same thing, but on another level. These peptides come in and interfere with receptors. It's really interesting to me, you know, in this day and age when we're talking about COVID and they're talking about the ACE2 receptor on the surface of the cell that the spike protein joins up with. It's a similar mechanism. Hmm. Wow. And the other thing that it really has a huge influence on is the immune system. Because there's a field now called psychoneuroimmunology. So it's all connected. And if you change the HPA axis, the stress feedback loops, you will influence your immune system hugely. How so? Because they're all tied together. And many of these receptors are on immune cells. Mm. A monocyte is a white blood cell that's an immune cell. Every receptor that you have for a peptide in your brain is on each cell, each monocyte. <laughs> so the whole system is so intricately connected. Right. And exquisite. <laughs> I'm curious. I don't know if you want to go down this road, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about like the language, because you started to kind of explain like when you see it through the lens of transformational therapeutics and seeing it through the lens, like what does that say about where we are in our culture as humanity of that we are putting these things on our food and then taking them in and becoming also addicted to taking in? This well, I, I see it on so many levels because it's not just that environmentally it's it's the lack of touch we're all mm -hmm. sitting in front of screens and we're communicating through zoom and we're not touching each other mm -hmm. and touch has such a powerful impact on the entire system right. not only for relaxation but it actually interferes with that hpa axis overstimulation it right. calms it down 
I just see things so holistically. And, and I know when I work with somebody, this is what I'm seeing. I'm not really seeing the body per se. I'm imagining the receptors and how am I impacting them and where are they? And it's so multidimensional. Right. That's so interesting that we're dealing with all these invaders, I guess, of the body. And we're also taking away a lot of our natural healing processes of touch and human touch, even just among strangers is becoming more and more separate just with what we've been through with the pandemic. And what's the impact of that on our health? And what's the impact of that on our immune system? I mean, it's a huge impact. So you want to be able to fight off a virus, but if you don't have this sort of social normal interactions, that has an impact on that also. 100%. Never mind all of this stuff you were talking about with pesticides and the environment. Right. And we're, we're on so many levels undoing ourselves. Right. Well, it's so, I feel like I've been seeing a lot in media lately about hearing about almost like a PTSD from the pandemic. And I'm just seeing it through this lens now of what you're saying that we're creating these feedback loops that are just perpetuating the problem. And thinking about if someone was immersed in fear and went through experiences throughout these last two years, and then we're separated from our natural abilities to curb those things and heal them, and it just kind of keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. And so much of when when I think of the media, and I think about all the fear that has been distributed throughout, really throughout the world. And people talk about it as fear. I did the podcast on shame. I think it's actually more about shame than it is about fear, that you're not good enough if you don't get vaccinated, that there's a lot of shaming. And that also has an impact on that whole stress system. It just, it just feeds on itself. Right. And the fact that we're divorced from nature, the calming of nature, you know, you talked about meditation. Meditation works in a way that calms and sends out peptides that reduces the HPA axis stimulation. Hmm. That's literally how it works. Hmm. I was watching somebody was talking about when COVID started, everybody wanted to start meditating because they know on some level that quiet, that inner quiet and that inner Peace is so important because we're all so, quote unquote, stressed and yeah. hyper. Right. Right. That we there is this instinct to do something about it. Like our bodies are screaming out and talking to us. Hey, let's start looking into other things that we can do. I decided to do this subject because Joe asked me to, and I just thought it was fascinating. And how transformational therapeutics applies is if you see it as language, if you see the language of the peptides within the body and the cells talking to each other and the the stress feedback loops being hyped up and the informational molecules are coming in, what information are they bringing? What information are the molecules of the pesticides telling our system? I mean, that's just how I see everything. Mm. And also seeing it through the lens of our perceptions that perceiving something as dangerous, like a text coming in and our body is perceiving it as a saber-toothed tiger that we need to react in such a way. Could you use this perspective and transformational therapeutics to help you break that feedback loop? I think it could help you change your perception of how important is it to allow that in? Yeah. How important is it media-wise. I mean, particularly now, I I see the media as very hyper-alert and hyper-negative, particularly about coronavirus. 
I personally have stopped reading certain media outlets because I can feel the stress and the hyper alertness increase inside of me. Yeah, me too. And does that information provide me with anything positive? Not really. I see, I mean, even just with myself, when I'm aware of these things, and I think more information that we have, like I'm really grateful for these things you've been sharing, then it allows me to become more aware of my own reactions to things. And then I can decide, okay, is opening up an envelope and seeing a bill worth putting my body through this? Or would I be better served greeting, paying this bill from a calmer place? And if so, then let me implement some of my tools to shift. It also gives you the understanding of how what you eat impacts your stress levels and your physiology. Right. You know, we talk about it, it's everywhere in media, but to really understand the, the mechanics of how, for instance, I used to walk past Fairway in Manhattan, which had vegetables stand, you know, outside on the sidewalk, unbelievable amounts of vegetables. And I'd watch people pack their carts. And perhaps this was judgmental on my part, but if you're buying a lot of vegetables and you think they're helping you and they're not organic, then you're actually increasing your pesticide intake. Mm. So you think you're being healthy, but what's on those vegetables? Right. And I think that's the most important thing. Not that organic is necessarily any better in, in this day and age because of how pervasive these pesticides are. But just understanding on so many levels the impact that it has on our physiology, I just think it's important. All right. So what do you what do you do? Is there any hope? <laughs> or are we all just <laughs> destined to be stressed out beings because we're swimming in pesticides and negative media? Well, I think it, it <laughs> well, it gives you a choice. I mean, it gives you options of where to cut back. And mm-hmm. so you know, it's like what you just said, you have a choice of when to open your bills, you know, and you have a choice of what media to listen to. You have a choice of how much time you spend on, let's say, Facebook or YouTube, what rabbit hole you're going down. Mm. So anybody who's on social media, that social media is engineered to keep you addicted, right. to increase your stress levels. You have a choice in that, and mm. it may be difficult but that's a choice you have. You have a choice to get out into nature. You have a choice to be more particular about what you eat and how you eat it. I mean, you have a choice about touch and knowing the impact of it. If you're raising children, how important it is to calm them down. Touch, there's nothing more powerful. Right. And giving them positive attention. Yes. And I mean, Ashley Montague wrote a book touching years ago, and he talks about the skin being really an externalization of the brain. Hmm. So you can actually access the brain through touch. Hmm. So just sort of knowing these are maybe little things, but wherever you can reduce your stress level, it's a positive step. Absolutely. Right. Picking and choosing what stressors you're taking in, deciding to become more aware of how you perceive certain stressors and maybe over time changing how you perceive them. And then also increasing your stress reducing activities like massage, like hugs, like laughter, sleep, sleep, meditation, reducing your your screen time, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Right. That's helpful. I think that's really helpful. This was really powerful, Dana. I think getting more information, seeing things differently, and then seeing that there is some ways that we have power in this 
I think is the biggest message that I personally took away from what you shared. So if you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend. Just grab the link and pass it on through a text or an email or post it on social media. And maybe we can change social media to be a little more positive. Thank you. Thank you.